What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see that word? Well, you say, well, the letters are blowing away. Other than that, trust. If you look up in the Webster's Dictionary, it says trust is a belief that someone or something is reliable. Something or someone is good, honest, and effective. Do you trust me? Do you think I'm reliable, good, honest, and effective? Can I look at the church? Can I say I trust you to be reliable, good, honest, and effective? More importantly, do you trust Jesus? Do you think Jesus is reliable, good, honest, and effective? Are you sure? Are you sure you trust Jesus? Is it possible that you could say you trust Jesus and you really don't? Is that possible? Or you think you trust Jesus, but you really aren't? Is that possible? Does Jesus think Terry Cooper is reliable? Let's take the word one more step. Trustworthy. Does Jesus think we, Nineveh Christian Church, are trustworthy? Can you count on him? Can he count on you? The issue of trust actually comes down to whether or not you believe you can count on someone. If I can count on you to be reliable, good, honest, and effective, then actually I'm saying I trust you. The idea of trust is the idea that I believe I can count on you. So can I count on you? Can you count on me? Can Jesus count on us? So here's the question. Can he trust us to trust him? I'm not trying to mess with your mind, but it's a real good question. Can Jesus trust Terry Cooper to trust him? And if he can, what does it mean to me? There's a reason for all these questions. I was reading the closing verses of John chapter 2, and I came across three verses that sent me into some deep thought. Let me read those verses. Verse 23. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Now, I'm going to admit to you that I didn't have any trouble when I read that first verse, that, that statement that said, many began to trust Jesus. Because in the context of many began to trust Jesus, he had just done signs and miracles. If somebody can do a sign and a miracle, it's a lot easier to trust them because they seem supernatural, believable. My mind was troubled when I got to the next two verses. Verse 24 and 25, I'll read them again. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind was really like. Does that hurt your feelings? <laughs> but Jesus didn't trust them. Let's just say your husband or your wife looked at you or a close friend looked at you and said, I don't trust you. Would that hurt your feelings? That's kind of the core of a relationship, right? If you don't trust me, then how are we going to have a relationship? It's like the core. It's foundational. So Jesus is doing these signs and miracles, and many people begin to trust him. But that next verse says, but he didn't trust them. 
because he understands human nature. Before we get too deep into this topic, I want to make sure that we're reading this right, understanding it right. So let me read those verses from the New International Version. Let's get a broad picture here. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, the New American Standard, a little different wording, says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name observing his signs which he was doing but jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them he knew all men now the difference between the translations is one says believed in his name and the other says began to trust him would you trust someone you didn't believe in no you wouldn't so the idea of believing in jesus is to trust jesus is to trust jesus is to believe jesus don't tell jesus that you trust him and you don't believe him. But don't tell him you believe him and then you don't trust him because it doesn't make any sense. The New American Standard say that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. So what does all that mean? What can we learn from this description of events at the Passover feast? Jesus did some miracles. He did some miraculous signs. And many responded how? What was the response? In other words, Jesus does a supernatural sign, a supernatural miraculous event, and something happens. Let me, let me read 23 one more time. Because of the miraculous signs, so there's what happened. Many began to trust in him. Is that what you want? I'm going to ask you. Is that what you want, a miracle, a supernatural event? in your presence what would make you trust him what would it take you see i like to ask that question because i'm not sure that even we know on the outside what it would really take to trust jesus with everything jesus did a miracle in jerusalem and many began to trust him here's where i'm going you will need to trust jesus before you will become trustworthy of jesus You'll need to trust Jesus, which means you'll have to believe him before you'll become trustworthy. In other words, can Jesus trust me to trust him? Does it matter? Trusting in Jesus is to have faith in Jesus. If you say you have faith in Jesus, but you don't trust him, you're just deceived. What would it take? I'm going to keep asking, what would it take for you to trust him, really trust him? It's easy to say with your mouth, Jesus, I believe you're reliable, that you're trustworthy. It's easy to say it when things are going good in your life, it's, it's easy to say it. Lord, I trust you. I mean, you look around and all your family's healthy, you got all your physical needs are met. I trust you. But what about when everything seems lost and you look like you're in disaster mode? It's a little bit more difficult to say, I trust you, when things look like they're spiraling out of control. Would you trust Jesus then? What would it take? So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want signs and miracles? Be honest, be honest. I think that'd be awesome. You see, my nature leans toward 
a desire for supernatural signs and miracles. Don't act like that would not be encouraging. Let's just give me, let me give you an example. Let's just say you're going through a traumatic time in your life and everything looks like it's falling apart and you go and you fall on your face in the bedroom and you got snot coming out of your nose and you're praying and you're so fervent and then you get up and you walk out and you step out on the patio and you look up and there's a picture of you in the heavens in the cloud and below it is God says I got this and he signs it God and don't tell me you wouldn't think whew I feel better. I mean, to see a manifestation of a sign, of a miracle that applied to you, we would all like God to confirm ever so often that He's there. We would all like Him to ever so often do something specifically to me so that I'll know, yeah, He's got my back. What would it take? Or maybe, let's call that option A. Let's call that option A. That, that we in our heart desire confirmation. Just a confirmation that, God, you got my back. Um, things aren't looking real good right now, Lord. I just need to know you got my back. Send me something. Move that furniture or make the wind blow in the house or do something. Just show me you got my back. Let's make that option A. What about option B? Maybe instead of a supernatural sign, what you'd like to have is intellectual understanding of all this. Maybe the second option would be you want it to all be logical. Maybe if it was more popular, this Christianity following Jesus thing, maybe if it was more popular to all the people around me, it would be a confirmation that everybody I work with believes like I believe. Maybe that'd be a confirmation. Would you trust Jesus then? Maybe if it wasn't so countercultural, it would be a confirmation. So, Option A, what? Show me a sign and I'll trust you. Option B, intellectually communicate to me that you're real and I'll trust you. What would it take to trust him? The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church that deals with A and B. But you might not like what he says. Here it comes. 1 Corinthians 1.21 Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. Are you with me? God, in his wisdom, saw to it that the world would never know who he is by intellectual wisdom. He has used, instead, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for option A. They ask for signs from heaven. And it's foolish to the Greeks or the Gentiles who seek after option B, human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles, what? It's just nonsense. Why? Because intellectually it doesn't add up. What would it take for you to trust Jesus? I mean, I'm talking about trust Jesus. Really trust Jesus with everything, with your whole life. You want signs, wonders, wisdom, intellect, cultural acceptance. If everyone would believe, it'd be easier for me to believe, right? Because I wouldn't be so countercultural. How is your human wisdom? Let me, let me ask and answer one of those questions. 
How do you think your human wisdom, your human intellect will ever be able to grasp that God killed His only Son to save your life? Do you think any level of human wisdom is going to ever be able to grasp that truth? Let me, let me give you an actual example. I've got three children. Today's my younger, my daughter, I only have one daughter. Today's my daughter's birthday. She's 27 years old today. I told the other two services she was 26, and she corrected me. She said it's okay to go down, just not up. I got three kids, and I wouldn't give any of those three kids to save anybody in this room. No matter who you are, no matter what you, your circumstance. And I like most of you. But I wouldn't give any of them to save you. In fact, I can possibly, I might, 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 might possibly imagine me giving my life to save a few of you. But I wouldn't give any of my kids. So if you're looking for human intellect or wisdom to bring you to the point of trusting Jesus, it'll never happen. Because your human mind will never comprehend how God, the creator of the universe, sent his only begotten son and slaughtered him on a cross to keep you from going to hell. You will never grasp it. Because intellectually, it doesn't make sense. Intellectually, I heard somebody say, at that point, if I was God, I'd change the rules. I'd have just done something different. I mean, after all, he's God. What sign would it take? If intellect's not going to do it, what sign would it take for you to grasp that Christ was crucified by the very plan and the purpose of God so that he would become the perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world? The Apostle Paul said that Jews want physical signs. Gentiles want intellectual validation. So I'm going to ask you a question today. What do you want? What would it take for you to actually trust Jesus with your life? I'm not talking about trusting Jesus with this little stuff. I'm talking about trust Jesus with your very life. What would it take? Jesus deals with it specifically. It's found in Matthew 16, verse 1. One day the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and by the way, those are just religious Jewish people. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to do what? To prove that you're who you say you are. To prove his authority. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. Now push pause. You know, my grandparents quoted that when I was a kid. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morn, sailors warn. I had no idea when I was a kid. My granddaddy was quoting the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus is saying, you know how to see the signs of weather. When you see a red sky, it means something, if it's night or if it's morning. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the time. Now, look at the next verse, verse 4. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. So, let me just say something. If you 
think that you would be trusting Jesus if he gave you a sign. He just answered that. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign to trust him. So don't do it. But here it comes. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What if I told you that there were signs all around you every day that reveal God? Would that make you trust Jesus? What would it take? You see, they demanded a sign. Do you? In, in your heart of hearts, do you think if he would do something, I'd believe, it'd make it a whole lot easier to believe. And, and if we admit it, we would all like for him to do something to confirm his presence. Do you know what it means? He says no sign's going to be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Do you know what that means? I wonder how many people in the church, in the, in the church understand what exactly that means. You ask for a miraculous sign, but no sign is going to be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, you know, that has particular relevance for us in this room because we're at the Nineveh Christian Church. And if you understand about the story of Jonah, Jonah's sign happened in a place called Nineveh. Now, I remember when I first came here 17 years ago, I grew up in Anderson County, so I knew there was a community named Nineveh after all, I came from a community named Bertie. So I went from Bertie to Nineveh. But after I came here as a preacher, it didn't take me very long until I started wondering, who would name a church Nineveh? Because Nineveh in the Bible, they're bad guys. I mean, that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and they were dirty, rotten scoundrels. I mean, nobody wanted to go to Nineveh. In fact, Jonah gets in trouble. Why? I don't want to go to Nineveh. You go to Nineveh. Jesus says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What's the sign? The Gospel of Luke gives us more detail about the sign of Jonah. It's all you're going to get, Jesus said, is the sign of Jonah. Did you get it? I'm about to give it to you. Here it comes. Luke eleven twenty nine. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said this, This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. Why? They want him to prove that he is who he says he is. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign. What happened to Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh that what? that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man, what happens to Jesus, will also be a sign to these people that he was sent from God. Are you with me? What happened to Jonah was a sign that God had sent Jonah. What's happening to Jesus is a sign that God had sent Jesus. There's the first connection. And then he says this, verse 31, the queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here. But they refuse to what? What's the next word? Listen. Was it important that Nineveh listened to Jonah? 
Yeah. Was it important that they listened to Jesus? Why did the Queen of Sheba travel all the way to Jerusalem to hear Solomon? To talk? Mm -mm. She came to listen. Listen carefully. Verse 32. The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they, Nineveh, repented of their sins at the what of Jonah? Preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to what? Repent. Jonah and his preaching was a sign to the Ninevites. And Jesus will be a sign to this generation. So what was the sign? Jonah was called by God to preach to the people of Nineveh. And what was his message? If you study it, it wasn't very deep, at least not recorded deep. Repent or perish. You've got 40 days. That's it. Would it be important to listen if someone came and said, repent or perish? You have 40 days. I guess that would depend upon what happened on day 41. If he's telling the truth. You see, Jonah called, was called by God to preach to the people of Nineveh, repent or perish, and guess what? Guess what? They repented. And God withdrew his judgment. What would it take for you? What if I came out here today and my sermon was this, repent or perish, and then I walk back through the curtain? Some of you would say, well, that's cool. That would be the shortest sermon you ever did. Repent or perish. What was the message of Jonah? What's the sign? Do you want a supernatural sign? Do you want human intellect to reveal? What's it going to take to trust Jesus? Nineveh did something. Listen, they trusted Jonah. I'm actually kind of amazed that Nineveh trusted Jonah. And Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. Here to do what? Here, one greater than Jonah has come. Here to do what? To ask you and I to trust him. To believe that he is believable. Here to do what? It's interesting to me that Jesus came in essence preaching the same sermon that Jonah preached. Repent or perish. Do you doubt that? One greater than Jonah is here. In Matthew 4, 17, listen to what the Gospel of Matthew says. From then on, Jesus began to preach. What's his sermon? Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What would it take for you to trust him? Why did Nineveh trust Jonah. What's the connection? Why is Jesus saying no sign, no supernatural event's going to be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah? What's the connection between Jonah and Jesus? For one greater than Jonah is here. Why did Nineveh trust Jonah? I mean, picture this scene. Here's a guy walking into a city of Nineveh. The Bible says it's so large. We believe it to be hundreds of thousands of people. It took three days to walk through it. It is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. 
And here comes Jonah walking into town with fish guts all over him, I suppose. I don't know what it's like after three days in the belly of a great fish. Slimy, maybe he cleaned up, took a bath, changed clothes, I don't know. But why in the world would one guy in the midst of a foreign people be able to say, repent and perish, you've got 40 days, and they believe him? Nineveh trusted Jonah. They did. What's the connection? The Gospel of Matthew clears it up. What specifically is the sign of Jonah that Jesus will give the world that will cause many to trust him? I'm about to give it to you. Matthew 12, 39. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation will demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Here it comes. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For what? For Nineveh repented of their sins at the preaching of a single man, Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but what's the problem? You refuse to repent. So let me say something that's important. And I've said it in the two previous sermons, services today. If you're in this room today, and you have unconfessed sin before God, and you refuse to repent, you are telling God that you do not trust His Son. You might not know that you're saying that, but you're saying that. There is no sign that's going to be given except the sign of Jonah. Jonah came and he preached, repent or perish. Jesus came and said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. But he says, they repented. Nineveh repented. Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn this generation. Why? Because these pagan people repented. They found repentance as necessary. And the modern church refuses repentance for arrogance. Repentance. Do you believe Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of a huge fish, or do you think that's just silly? You send your kids out of here and they go up into children's ministry, and somebody in children's ministry will tell them the story of Jonah and the great fish or the whale, whatever. Do you think that's, oh, that's just a story? Do you think that's real? Do you think it really happened? Or is that just a story? Maybe it's, maybe it's like, Three bears, the mama bear and the papa bear and the baby bear. Maybe you think Jonah and the great fish is just like the bears or maybe like the big bad wolf, the three little pigs. Is it the same thing? If Jonah did spend three days in the belly of the huge fish and then came to the town and told you to repent, what would you do? If you knew that this man did spend three days in the belly of a great fish and the fish vomited him up on the shore and he came and said, repent and perish or perish, you've got 40 days, what would you do? Now, you're going to either trust him or you're not going to trust him. There'll be a dividing line. I don't know where you're going to get the middle out of this. Nineveh trusted Jonah. 
Now, I'm telling you again, it, to me it's fairly amazing that this one guy smelling like a giant sardine comes to town and they all trust him. So let me do this. I want to read to you ten verses from the story of Jonah. Listen carefully. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And by the way, this is after he spent three days in the fish. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed Jonah's message. That's not what it says, is it? The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds or flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all this violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change His mind and hold back His fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had, stopped, had put a stop to their evil ways, He changed His mind and He did not carry out the destruction He had threatened. They, listen, trusted Jonah. You want a sign? No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. They trusted Jonah. And one greater than Jonah is here. They trusted Jonah. And by trusting Jonah, they were actually trusting God and saving whom? Themselves. Do you want a sign? What would it take to trust Jesus? Do you want a sign? No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. One greater than Jonah has come, and he spent three days not in a fish, in the grave. Do you trust him? If you trusted him, you would believe him, and believing him is called faith. And I ask you again, what would it take to actually trust him? Not with little things, but with your life. Let me put it another way. Did Jonah trust God? Think about it. Well, the first time he didn't, but the second time he did. Was it to Jonah's best interest to trust God? <laughs> yeah. Was it to Nineveh's best interest to trust God? Yeah. Is it to your best interest to trust God? Yeah. But why? 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 Why is it to your best interest today at this Nineveh to trust God? Why? Because trusting God saves you it doesn't save god it saves you if trusting god saves you then what does not trusting god do you see most people won't argue with the first trusting god saves you but what does not trusting god do it means you'll be destroyed by the very wrath of god that's what people don't want to talk about 
Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't believe Nineveh would trust him. Why would they? Who wants to preach to unbelievers? Jonah goes to Nineveh and says, repent or perish. You got 40 days. Why wouldn't they just start throwing rocks at him? Shut up. Get out of town. Go back to the fish. Why wouldn't they just run him off? Who wants to preach to unbelievers? What would it take for you to believe the one who spent three days in the earth? In fact, the reality is this. Listen carefully. If you believe, if you believed, if you believed that Jesus was buried as a dead man and on the third day rose from the grave and lives forever, you'd trust him. Yeah, you would. Because, you know, I've been to a whole lot of funerals in my life. I've done a lot of funerals, and not once has anybody ever got up from the coffin. Every one of them we've ever buried, they're still buried. We haven't had a single one come out. If you believe that this Jesus went into the grave and on the third day stood up and walked out, you'd trust him. If you believe that Jonah cat was called by God, and he didn't pay attention, got on the wrong boat, going to Tarsus, when he was supposed to go on the boat to Nineveh, and the fish ate him. And on the third day, he got vomited out on the beach to come tell you he had 40 days. If you believed that story, you'd believe Jonah. If you believed Jesus' story, you'd believe Jesus. You know what hell's going to be filled with? Unbelievers. They don't believe it. Do you believe it? What would it take? What, what's going to happen to you if you don't? Maybe that's a better question. What if you don't believe it? What's going to happen to you? Let me read the whole Jonah sign as Jesus describes it. I'm going to put it all together. Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to put it all together. And I'm, it's, What's going to happen if you don't? One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I'll give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. The Queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. One greater than Jonah has come. One greater than Solomon is come. What would it take for you to listen to him? What would it take for you to repent? What would it take for you to believe and trust him? Now, listen. I want to read to you the context. What if you don't? You want a sign? There's no sign except the prophet Jonah. Do you know what the next verse says? It's the answer to the question, what if you don't? Verse 43, next verse. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Do you believe in evil spirits? 
then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it, the evil spirit, returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Who's he talking to? They wanted a sign. They don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. What's the consequence for not trusting Jesus? He just gave a description of a man who had an evil spirit that departed. But when the spirit departed, nothing took its place. It was cleaned, it was empty, but nothing filled this man's emptiness. So the evil spirit goes and finds seven other more powerful evil spirits and returns inside of this man. He is worse off in the end than he was in the beginning. Why? Why does Jesus tell this story in context of the sign of Jonah? Why? They refused the sign. They refused. Listen, don't make it complicated. They refused to repent and find forgiveness of their sins. And that left them open to the evil adversary to fill him with darkness. He's worse off in the end than he was in the beginning. What if you don't trust him? What if you don't listen? What if you don't repent? Seven times worse than you were at first. Let me put it another way. Jesus puts it another way. Listen carefully. It would be better had you never been born. What could be so bad that it would be better that you had never been born? Is it possible, because I think it is, that betrayal of Jesus is simply to not trust him? I want to say it again. Can Jesus trust you to trust him? Is it possible that betrayal from God's perspective is refusing to trust Jesus. What is it that would be so bad that it would be better if you'd never been born? Jesus is sitting with his 12 apostles in the upper room in what we call the Last Supper. And he's going to look at one of them and say, it's you. And he's going to say, it would be better if you had never been born. Why? What could be so bad? What would be so bad that when that evil spirit leaves, seven times worse is coming? What could be so bad? What did you do that would make seven times worse? What could you do that would be better if you'd never been born? Better if you'd never breathed? Better if you'd never existed? Never were somebody? What could be so bad? In Mark 14, what does betrayal look like? He, Jesus, replied, is one of you. Can you imagine him looking and saying that? It's one of you. One of the twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Jesus said that night at 
I must go to the cross to die for the sins of man. But how terrible it will be for anyone who betrays me. What does betrayal look like? It would be better if he had never been born. Why? Have you ever thought about that statement? Because I have. Why would it be better if you had never been born? Because if you had never experienced life, if you had never breathed air, if you had never been a person, a living soul, then you would never have to experience eternity separated from God in hell. See, I'm convinced that God breathes into us His breath of life, and we become a living soul. And once we become a living soul, we become an eternal soul. And He pushes us into eternity. He starts us and pushes us out into eternity. We're traveling through eternity. And the only question is, where will I spend eternity? What would be so bad that it would be better that you had never been born? What would be so bad that it would be seven times worse than the first? You never trusted Him. You never believed Him. What would it take for you to trust Jesus? You want signs, wonders, human intellect? I believe the Bible is the very Word of God. I'm not, I don't just say that at church. Any of you know me? I'll say this anywhere to anybody. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Listen, I believe you can trust every word in this book. Do you? you know, the evidence of that probably would be how much time you've spent in this book in the last month. That's probably the evidence. Can somebody say they trust something, but they really don't? Can you deceive yourself? I trust the Bible. What would it take for you to trust the Bible? You trust Google. Now, I've looked at this generation. You trust Google. I trust Google most of the time. This past week, I'm helping my youngest son, Michael, remodel a house, and we're in the in the bathroom area we're hooking a washing machine up and we need to run some new plumbing and i don't know how off the floor we need to put the uh, drain for the washing machine so i said well, let's google it so i said hey siri how high off the floor do i need to put the drain for the washing machine i'll check on that terry she's such a sweet lady and next thing you know, it's come up 36 inches. They gave me a little bit of a specification there. And you know what? I just blindly trusted that. Who is Google? I just trusted Google. And I turned around and I, yes, Google. And I, I just put that pipe 36 inches off the floor. Wow, I trust Google. I trusted Siri who introduced me to Google. You, you, you want to find out about some person? You get on Wikipedia and tells you everything about Wikipedia. Who is Wikipedia? We trust Wikipedia and Google and Siri. You go in your TV room at night and watch the news, and they tell you what's happened over in Afghanistan. You say, honey, do you hear what happened in Afghanistan? Well, you don't know those people. Why do you trust them? And then we hold up this book, and you become cynical about everything in there. Do you trust this book? I don't know anybody who's given their life to save Google. I don't know anybody that's risked everything they had to translate. 
from ancient languages to modern languages, been burned at the stake to carry this from generation to generation. I don't, they don't do that for Wikipedia. It was on November 28, 2007. I was at home and I was watching the presidential debate, the Republican Party presidential debate in St. Petersburg, Florida. Something happened in that debate that I never forgot. In fact, this past week, I asked Siri to ask Google to give me the transcripts, and she did, of that debate. I want to read it to you. Because in that debate, there were all kinds of uh, candidates on the stage, and different people could ask different questions. And there was a guy, his name was Joseph, who asked a question that just stunned me about, whoa, that's a good question. So I, I'm quoting the question, and it went to Rudo Giuliani. Uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, yeah. And I'm not bashing Mayor Giuliani. Actually, I think he's an American hero. I really like the guy. I'm going to read to you the transcript of that November 28, 2007 discussion. I'm Joseph. I'm from Dallas, Texas. And how you answer this question will tell us everything we need to know about you. Do you believe every word in this book? And if you saw the video, he's holding up the Bible. Do you believe every word in this book? And I mean specifically this book I'm holding in my hand. Do you believe this book? <laughs> I was wondering how many of them wanted to duck off the stage at that point. It went to Mr. Giuliani, and here's what he says. Okay. The reality is I believe it. But I don't believe it necessarily literally true in every single respect. I think there are parts of the Bible that are interpretive. I think there are parts of the Bible that are allegorical. I think there are parts of the Bible that are meant to be interpreted in modern context. So yes, I believe it. I think it's the greatest book ever written. I read it frequently. I read it very frequently when I've gone through the bigger crisis of my life. And I find great wisdom in it. And it does define, to a very large extent, my faith. Now, I'm going to tell you, pause for a moment. This is where Rudy Giuliani should have stopped. But he didn't. Like many politicians, he couldn't stop his mouth. And he said this next. But I don't believe every single thing in the literal sense, such as Jonah being in the belly of a whale. You know, there are some things in it, in the Bible, that I think were put there as allegorical. Now some of you might think, what's the problem with that? Jesus quotes Jonah in the belly of a fish. So if you say you believe Jesus, but you don't believe what Jesus said, do you believe Jesus? You see, what the mayor was saying is, I believe it. It's the most important book I've ever read. And yet, when I read the part about Joni, Joni, that's his sister, okay? Jonah in the belly of the fish, when I read that, I just think it's an allegory. 
It's not real. But then these people come to Jesus and say, what sign will you give us to prove that you are who you are? And give us a miracle. And no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Can you trust this book? Now, it didn't end there. That did not end there. The moderator turns to Mike Huckabee, who's running for president that year. And I love Mike Huckabee. And here's what he said. Same question. Quote, sure, I believe the Bible is exactly what it is. It's the words of revelation to us from God himself. And the fact is that when people ask, do we believe all of it? You either believe it or you don't believe it. I agree with Mike Huckabee. I believe it is the Word of God Himself. And you and I are going to come to some conclusion. Either I trust this or I don't. But don't do this. Don't say you trust Jesus and reject this book. Because there's no way under heaven you would even have a clue who Jesus is if it wasn't for this book. You wouldn't have a clue. I close today with the words of the Apostle Paul who trusted Jesus even unto death. In fact, when Paul writes these final words, he is about to have his head chopped off. And he trusts Jesus so much, so much, that he believes that if they chop his head off, and by the way, they did, that he is going to resurrect into a new human body and stand in the presence of God. He believes it so much that he does not fear death because he believes that the promises of God regarding the resurrection are his in the name of Christ. And if you cut my head off, I'm just going to go to be with the Lord. I won't die. My body will die, but I won't die. I want to read to you what it what the words of a man who trusts Jesus looks like. Here's what he said. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a trustworthy saying. And everyone should accept it. What is so trustworthy that everyone should accept? Here it comes. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save me. To save you. And Paul says, I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory and to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. They're going to kill him, and that's coming out of his mouth. He trusted Jesus. So what I just read to you, the unseen one who never dies, he alone is God. We have recorded the essence of the revelation of God to man. Do you believe some of that, all of that, or none of that? I stand before you today and I say, I believe this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came to the world to save you. You. I trust Jesus to save me. 
I'm not saying it because I'm a preacher. I'm saying it because I believe that if I go out of here today and I'm run over in a car wreck or I die of a heart attack or whatever, that if that's my, if you put me in the ground, I am going to rise. I'm going to get a new body. I am going to forever walk with Christ. And if I remain until the rapture of the church, by the way, that option I prefer over getting hit by a truck. If I remain to the rapture, I believe that He will raise me and equip me with new eternal flesh and I will forever be in His presence. There is nothing that will stop me, keep me from Him. Nothing. I trust Him with my life. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him to save you? The reason I ask that is this. What would it look like if you didn't? What if you don't trust Him? What does betrayal actually look like? It looks like you don't trust Him. So today, I want to close with 1 Peter 1.8. And I want to close with that for this reason. This is Peter's statement of faith that I memorized a few years ago just because I wanted it to be my statement of faith. And I don't want to read it in the third person. I want to read it in the first person. That This is me. This is me. And it says, though I have not seen him. You know, I've never seen Jesus' face. Though I have not seen him, I love him. And even though I cannot see him now, I believe in him. And I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For I am receiving the goal of my faith, the salvation of my soul. You want to say that with me? I'll be on the screen. But I want you to change the word you to I. Because this will never have any value if it remains somebody else's trust. It needs to become yours. So would you say it out loud with me? Though I have not seen Him, I love Him. And even though I cannot see Him now, I believe in Him. And I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For I am receiving the goal of my faith, the salvation of my soul. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. You want a sign? Only an evil and adulterous generation would ask for a sign. No sign will be given except the one of the prophet Jonah. That as he spent three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will spend three days in the earth. And if you really believe today that Jesus was buried dead and he rose from the dead and turned around and said two words, follow me, you'd follow him. Yeah, you would. The invitation to Christ is open. Stand.